Then, a day or two later, he got up and left Galilee. Walking back southward down the seaside road in the direction from which they'd just come, he seemed to the disciples more relaxed than he'd been in a while. He was chatty and full of conversation prompted by the sights along the way. But it was a remarkably beautiful day for walking. This time, the rising sun was on their left, the cool of the morning on their right. The songbirds were singing on one side, the seagulls squawking on the other. The very same fishermen they'd been watching coming in a few mornings before were now coming in again with the same tired air of either victory or defeat. Hard to tell from this far away. High, wispy clouds were catching all the colors of the sunrise light. The air off the water was lovely with that early morning coolness. As they walked, the disciples were wondering to themselves, where would he go at the southern end of the sea? Would he turn toward Nazareth or continue heading southward? Was this a return home for him or a traveling elsewhere? Would he stop off first at Tiberias? Or turn the corner for Gadara? Or, for that matter, head back up the way to Cana for some of that special wine? Those who had been there were now thinking of that particular wedding feast from the beginning. They told the others with that tone of, You should have been there. Anyhow, they walked right through Tiberias and kept walking. The day was finding its footing as regards the heat. Cloaks were now removed. They were slung over elbows or wrapped around necks against the beating sun. All these thirteen men were laboring, sweating. Conversation had finally dropped off about an hour ago. It was that part of a hike where it's every man for himself, each retreating inward to the shallowness or depth of his own interior thought life. Eventually, the corner of the lake was finally in view. This was the moment of decision, his decision. He stopped and took a long drink from a skin full of water, looking toward the roads branching southeast, south, southwest, and then seemingly made his decision. He continued straight ahead, south, to Samaria, Jerusalem, the disciples walked along that evening, wondering. They would sleep by the side of the road that night under a leafless tree. And similarly, passed the next couple of days walking. It was the third evening, as the light of the day was dropping below the western hills, that they approached the Samaritan town known as Sychar. Just like the earlier conversation of the wedding feast at Cana, some of the assembled disciples could remember their earlier visit to this place, these environs too. They told the others the story of Jacob's well and all that. Jesus walked straight to the center of town, took a couple of turns. He then stopped in front of a house and knocked on its door. The woman who answered the door the disciples who'd themselves been here on that earlier occasion were surprised to see was the very same woman who'd been slinking to the well in the highest heat of the day, talked to the teacher, argued, and then repented, and then changed the whole heart of the town. Oh, 
you should have seen the look on her face, seeing Jesus back. As she burst across the threshold, threw her arms around him. Naturally, she counted on Jesus and his followers spending the night in her home, no questions asked. She was instantly busy preparing them places here and there. Some would have a room, others would lodge in the main, a few were happy to sleep outside in her back courtyard. The ones who'd been there before, the ones who'd met this woman during that earlier hot noonday at the well, were cluing in the others as to the story, the, the reputation of their hostess. Of a highly opinionated mind and spirit, of a certain argumentativeness, previously married and divorced five times, who, on a particular day, bumped into God sitting at the edge of her local watering hole. Well, now a follower of his and married to a good man who treats her well. Those ones just meeting her heard these facts with a visible shock and disbelief. They watched how naturally she and the teacher sat by the fire and chatted late. It was quite obvious that he delighted in this daughter of his. They all fell asleep with her story, and this night lodged in their hearts. Well, the next day, they went off to the borders of Judea and beyond the Jordan. It was a two-day walk that had them there by that second evening after. Then another day or two passed while the rumors of his coming spread throughout Judea. All of Jerusalem seemed to be hearing about it, too. And so again... Great crowds assembled to meet him, and again, according to his custom, he taught them, out there in the dry, dusty river country. The people were fanned out upon the banks of the river, squeezed into the only available patches of shade, and there were even some who sat right down in the water. Jesus himself was teaching up to his knees in the lazy current. Then some Pharisees arrived to ask him this test question. They had been mulling this approach all the way from Jerusalem. They asked, calling out to him, Is it right for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus, interrupted in what he'd been saying to the crowds, looked over in their direction and replied by asking them, What has Moses commanded you to do? They had expected him to ask this. They were ready with an answer. Moses allows men to write a divorce notice and then to dismiss her, they said. Jesus was shaking his head sadly. Moses gave you that commandment, returned Jesus, speaking loud enough so that all would hear his words, because you know so little of the meaning of love. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that in body they are no longer two people, but one. That is why man must never separate what God has joined together. His eyes swept over the faces in the crowd, studying their reaction. He didn't even bother to look directly at the Pharisees themselves. Then, without any segue, and seemingly without missing a beat from where he'd been before in mid-sentence, 
he returned to speaking his interrupted parable. The Pharisees walked off toward Jerusalem, flummoxed yet again. Later, on reaching the house where they were staying that night, his disciples questioned him again about this matter of divorce. He was just sitting down to take off his sandals on the far side of the room. He looked at them with a look of almost bewilderment. Any man who divorces his wife and marries another woman, he told them, commits adultery against his wife. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Then in his bare feet, he passed out through the back door of the house, walking off in the direction of the nearest town well. They could see him out the window, talking to a group of women at the well's edge. With a smile, he accepted their offering of a drink of water. He settled down on the lip of the well in conversation. The sunset colors were coloring the whole scene around him. And it might have been then, or it might have been later. For some of them, perhaps, the realization might have never come. But for those who noticed his ease amidst these women sitting there at the well, for those who noticed the purposefulness of their journeying through Samaria, their stay there, it once again became clear, crystal clear, that Jesus had come not for the righteous, but for sinners. That the way to his heart was to give him of your heart, to hand over everything you knew of yourself to everything you knew of him. That if the reality of divorce was a delving into the reality of adultery, that this was the same Jesus who looked sinners and prostitutes right in the eye. That in essence, here was God talking to a mixed group of people, a mix of sin and righteousness, and he loved them. Let all people everywhere hear that. He loved them. The next morning, after a good night's rest in that home, after breakfast, before they started out, some people came to him bringing little children for him to touch. The disciples saw them coming first and tried to discourage them. To them, this sort of sentimentalism was sort of foolish and unbecoming. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and told them, saying these words hotly into their faces, you must let little children come to me. Never stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Indeed, I assure you that the man who does not accept the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. Nearly the whole morning passed by this way. Later, all the children and parents and grandparents had politely taken their leave and begun their return journeys to uh, Jerusalem, to, Beth to Bethany, uh, to other nearby towns and villages. The teacher and his disciples were just finishing a quick bite. The rest of the crowd was waiting off in the wings. The sun was getting low in the western sky. The springtime breezes were blowing in from the direction of the sea. There was a pleasant feeling in the air. When Jesus finally rose to go, the only people left standing upon that spot, watching the transit of the twelve, the teacher, the crowd, were two. 
Two little children, street children, parentless and alone. For years, these two little children have only had each other. You see, earlier today, seeing the line of parents and children walking toward this place, they had followed, hoping for a handout, a kind word, a notice from any of the adults. To their surprise, they had been swept right into the inner circle. They had met the teacher. They had felt the warmth of his hand upon their shoulders. Now, as they watch him climb the rise away from the setting sun, disappearing to wherever he goes by night, one of them says to the other, So what do you think of that teacher? The other little boy considers for a moment. I think, he says, that that is God himself. <laughs>